Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company. Smoked salmon. The secret is in the fire, and we'll go to the phones and see if Mr. Nate Zielinski's ears were burning. As Mark Kite and I were talking about the ice fishing trip you and I are going to host next December. And one of the things, Nate, that I told Mark is, did you ever see two guys more competitive on the ice than him and Ron? <laughs> I agree 100%, Terry. They, uh, they absolutely get after it. There's no doubt about that. They would cut each other's line if they were close. <laughs> yeah, we, we, even on the boat one time, I was thinking, oh, boy, I could let them each other net each other's fish. And I thought to myself, no way. That's, uh, that's the best way to have it. They'll stab it off on purpose. No, without question. But speaking of fishing, there's a lot of fishing going on. I know you're going to touch on that. I know you want to talk some turkey hunting. So I'll let you kind of lead it off where you want to go. Absolutely, Terry. You know, it's an exciting day. We're actually down here at Cherry Creek Reservoir, the walleye insanity event. That's where I'm at today. Uh, and it's awesome. And despite the, kind of the windy conditions, fishing is incredible. To be totally honest, I think Cherry Creek is probably fishing slightly better than I've seen it probably in about the last 10 years. Um, just one of those years where everything kind of came together. The spawn happened perfectly. The water temperature is just nice, slowly rising. Um, and to be honest with you, despite uh, kind of a little bit colder conditions last couple of days of the wind, um, it's actually stabilizing that water. So where normally we go from a post-spawn, the water warms, the fish immediately hit structure, we're dealing with a post-spawn, the fish kind of, kind of in between, they're in the basin and they're on their first ledges of structure. But it's just really, I mean, long story short, it made everything just kind of stabilize. Um, and the fishing's incredible. So on guide trips, I've been out here the last five guide trips. I've caught a 25-inch walleye or bigger uh, on every trip. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, we're getting some pretty big fish and just tons and tons of numbers. So uh, we're out here now. We actually just cruise around, talk to some anglers. A lot of guys have keeper fish. A couple of boats already have 20-something fish that they've caught and netted so far. Um, so there's a lot of activity here at Cherry Creek. So excited about that uh, and just generally speaking fishing has been really good across the state again it's been kind of windy the last week uh but fishing has been great for sure. you know one of the things uh, when you said you're catching you caught a 25 plus inch fish on every one of your guide trips are you are we getting to the point where most of the big fish are coming at night and do you start to see it turning into more and more of a numbers game and maybe a little less big fish you know, right now we're in that perfect combination of both. So I'm uh, I'm doing daytime trips to Cherry Creek. I'm doing nighttime trips to Chatfield. Um, I would say if you look at a six-hour guide trip, because that's kind of how I pay attention to all my numbers, um, I'm averaging right around 30 fish a trip, both night and day. Uh, and they're both producing some really big fish. And I can't say numbers of big fish, but like I said, I've got at least one 25-inch or bigger the last five trips in a row. Um, I do think we're probably about... You know, we probably have another two weeks of that big fish activity, uh, you know, 10 days to two weeks. And after that, we're going to slowly start seeing those those big fish go into their summer patterns. Uh, not that they're not catchable, but it's going to slow down a little bit on those big fish. And you're definitely going to start seeing more numbers as we approach May. Uh, but I'd say we have a solid 10 days to two weeks where we're still in that, the, the, the post-spawn stage for those bigger females. And they're still kind of vulnerable as they're bulking up. So, again, two, 10, 10 days to two weeks, we're, we're right on that schedule for those big fish. Well, you know, another thing that I like to tell people as we get into this, you know, we're in the transition, like you said, from the post-spawn 
the big fish still haven't totally gone into their separate habitat and their habits and the way they feed. And there's still a number of big fish that some of will get cold out. This is the nature of our lakes because they're stocked. But there's always going to be big fish in there, and there's always a chance for one. But as we approach, say, the middle of May to maybe the middle or end of June, there's going to be a two- or three-week period in there. We're, we're going to hit the summer peak. During that <laughs> summer peak, you don't, you don't catch many big fish. But, boy, if you want to learn and get confidence in a technique and just catch some fish and understand that things work, Nate, that is the time to be on the water in Colorado. Absolutely. You know, once the fish hit their summer patterns, which we start seeing in early May, we let them stabilize in that pattern about two weeks. About that time, your water starts getting pretty warm pretty quick. All of last year's bait fish kind of go into a rapid growth rate. Some of that bait fish go shallow to spawn, and literally you hit about a three-week period um, where the walleyes just kind of struggle for food. Um, it's just kind of the, the reality of the situation. So why they struggle for food, um, especially those 20-inch fish and less, you know, they get starving until the new shad forage for the year kind of comes out, or the new forage base regardless of where your fishing comes out. Um, so that, we always generally associate it to like that, that first 15 days of June. Um, and there's no doubt, Terry, if you're a walleye fisherman uh, and you're, you're a new angler, that is the time to put your focus on being on the water. And even if you're an experienced angler, we talk about this all the time, that's your time to, to go out and experiment. I had a customer this week uh, that we were talking about this because he, he was struggling with some new techniques and and it was like, yeah, last year I did this, this. I said, man, those days when you're having those, you know, 80 fish or 100 fish days, I said, go out and catch 50 fish doing your normal technique and then force yourself to try new plastics or a new rod or something different while the fish are active just to build confidence and really see how something works. We all test stuff when it's not working as opposed to test it when it's working so you get a, a true example of how it compares to, to other options. Um, so that's good. I mean, like Cherry Creek in the day, we're seeing multiple options. I'd say the vast people are, are trolling crankbaits with lead pouring basin, but we saw a bunch of fish get caught on blade baits. We saw some guys throwing plastics fairly shallow. Uh, we saw some guys doing some uh, live bait rigging. It seems to all be working at Cherry Creek today. So that's pretty exciting that we're seeing a, a, a versatile bite out here. You know, I, I purposely dug down into the archives for a television show that I filmed almost 20, 20 years ago. And and it was on bottom bouncer techniques. And Karen reposted that. It's on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. It'll take you to my YouTube channel, but that's the easiest way to find it. And I, I looked at it before we put it up, Nate, and I realized it, it had this exactly the same techniques I would teach somebody now. But I think you and I and Brad and Chad and all and and your guys, you know, that come on all, you know, Will, we've been really getting into a lot of the crankbaits. We've been getting in a lot to more of the artificial soft plastics because we love to fish that way. But I'll tell you what, if you can get good with bottom bouncers getting into this summer period, you can probably catch more walleyes than any other technique. And at the very least, it'll locate the fish for you. And then you can fish them in a different means. I agree 100%, Terry. When it comes to, to a lot of that summer peak rigging stuff, um, back to the basics should work. You know, people see it all the time. I, I did a couple of posts on Facebook last year of, of me heading at the, at the water, and I'm holding you know, 15 dozen live night crawlers. People are like, what are you doing? There was just that time of year when, uh, when the traditional, you know, whether using you know, just live bait rigs or whatever fashion you're using, um, they just flat out catch fish. It's one of those things that 
again, as a, as a new angler, as a very experienced angler, those are the type of things that you at least have to have them in your arsenal, like you said. Compare it. You know, that's a hot break. Compare it to the artificials or, or use it as a search, like you said, and use artificials to weed out the bigger fish. Um, but again, I think so many people look past the traditional techniques uh, that a lot of times build the foundations as an angler uh, for all species. And it, like you said, it, it's key to know those things just to have in your arsenal. Because we do. We make fishing very technical nowadays, whether it's gear or tactics. Well, I'm gonna. We're gonna have to move on to turkey hunting so we don't run out of time. But real quick, John Prochno from Berkeley is going to join me in the next segment, and he's their head of product innovation. He's responsible for power bait and gulp and the new Max scent. And I'll tell you right now, a bottom bouncer where I normally would never have run it without a live night crawler. I don't know that I'd be afraid on a bottom bouncer with a little bit of motion and a spinner blade to put a uh, a scented uh, soft plastic worm on there and walk go through those walleyes and locate them. I think it would work great. But, Nate, take a couple of minutes. What's going on with turkey hunting? Absolutely, Terry. You know, I spent a lot of time in the woods this week. I spent a couple of days in Kansas with turkey hunting. We spent a great time in the woods here in Colorado checking up on the turkeys. And that time of year, we kind of got a little bit. Nate, I'm losing you there. Can you hear me there? Yeah, I can hear you now. Perfect. You know, we got a little bit of everything going on. I, uh, I, spent, a, I spent a couple of days in Kansas this week. I checked out all of our mountain birds. Um, and we're at that season where there's a little bit of everything. It's really situational. I would say if you are an eastern plains turkey hunter here in Colorado, where you know, you're on the, the east side of I-25, warmer temperatures, you're starting to see that breeding activity. You're getting really, you know, good gobbles. The, the birds are starting to become workable with call and decoys. Um, and it's really kind of getting started. The mountain birds seem to be about a week off. So I would say you're probably about a week behind uh, up in the mountains. I did hear some gobbling. I had a couple birds uh, that I checked up kind of you know, as a mountain bird that were definitely callable. Um, but I would say the vast majority are probably about a week off. You know, when they were doing good with some warmer temps, then we got a little bit cooler temps, and it just somewhat slowed it down. So um, the turkey hunting is going. I would say there are definitely some birds out there that, are, that you're able to harvest. Um, but really, we're about a week off from those birds. So the big thing we talk about with that, especially if you're hunting a smaller population of birds, you know, a small piece of public property or private property, or, you know, you're hunting mountain birds and you have limited, you know, availability of birds, don't burn out your calling and your decoys when they're not quite ready. Go actively hunt them. And if the situation's right and they're responding, go ahead and work that set. But if the birds are not reacting to the decoys, if they're not reacting to the call, kind of shy off on it. Because again, it's just the beginning of the season. You have a lot of time after this. And these birds, even though, you know, everybody says the turkey is the brain the size of the pea, they are a bird that, that they can definitely catch on quick. They'll learn the decoys. They'll learn the calls. Um, and literally, just like elk, you can you can have the wrong set too soon, um, and you can ruin your odds of harvesting that bird at a later time when the birds are more ready and more, you know, conditioned to come into a call or conditioned to come into a decoy. Um, so I'd say the biggest thing with that is, is take it with a grain of salt. If the birds are workable, continue doing it. But the first sign that they're not, coming to the call, they're not engaging with your decoy, back off and, and really give it just a little bit of time. I think we're probably a week out. Um, and I think your success rate will, will greatly go through the roof as you kind of time the birds appropriately. Now, a couple of things. I want to make some points, and I want your opinion on them because you're much well, more well-versed in turkey hunting than I am. Did I just compliment you? 
<laughs> anyway, uh, but you are. There's no doubt. But one of the things, you know, all the calling sports. This is elk and and turkeys in particular can be so responsive. But I don't think people realize sometimes those turkeys kind of build a harem too. So while they're in the before they're active, you know, you want to be careful, like you said. Once they start building, they're going to respond to decoys a little more before they've built that harem. But is it your is it your uh, what you find that as you get later in the season, maybe towards the end, that they've got that harem and you've got to call them different ways that they're not necessarily looking for that single hen anymore. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is later in the season is I take advantage of the current situation. So lately, once you get to where they're actually breeding, and once you get those hens on the nest. The hens will go out and do their, their everyday forage in the morning. So they'll feed early, uh, they'll kind of do their thing. But once midday hits, that 9, 10 o'clock, and you get those hens sitting on the nest and they're totally inactive, those gobblers will literally go out searching for any available hens that are still out there. So you know, I tend to really focus on the middle of the season, even the end of the season, and I put almost all my focus into midday hunting. I still go out early to locate them as they come off the roof, roost just because they're so vocal as they come off the roost, but I don't actually pursue them until that like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. That, that 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. middle of the season uh, is probably the, the absolute best time to pull these birds in because the hens are all messed up, the gobblers are out looking for any available hens that are not on a nest, uh, and that's when having a, you know, a hen decoy and, and you know, some ladder calls to pull them in, they become extremely vulnerable just because they get so excited. Um, so I, I almost put most of my focus on that type of situation to really have that great calling and engagement with these birds, and that, it, it'll really up your success rate understanding that kind of situation as you go into the hunting situation. All right, Nate, we're out of time. If people want to book a guide trip. Absolutely. We have got an incredible walleye by Chapman Cherry Creek. We've got great trout at spinning big pipe, uh, a lot of bass at Quincy. So we have got a ton of bites going on. Uh, so definitely look us up at tightrunoutdoors.com. We would love to get you out. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you again very soon. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. Nate Zielinski, always a great, great resource for us. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon's Honey Smoked Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones now. We're going to do a, a tackle talk of sorts. And uh, the man that's going to join us now is probably the reason I've been able to spend over 30 years in the fishing industry, because without his products, I'd probably be struggling to try and survive on the professional bowling tour. John Prockno from Berkeley. Good morning, John. Good morning, Terry. You know, there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but a lot of truth in there. I mean, going all the way back to Trilene Line, and I think... You and I have reminisced back to about 30 years ago with Berkeley Products. We're going to talk about some of the soft bait products you have, but tell us, when did power bait first hit the market? Well, the actual, the, the first ones uh, came out in the, the late 80s, probably about 1988-89 was the first uh, power bait trout dough that uh, everybody knows today and almost everybody's got it in their tackle box. And and yeah, that was and that gosh, it just seems like forever. And then the 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 soft baits follow that. Is that what happened then? Yeah, that's correct, Terry. They the soft baits followed about the year after, so it would have been eighty nine ninety is when uh, the soft power worms and power grubs and 
all the bass baits and the uh, soft plastics came about. I'll tell you what, um, over the course of that time, you guys have revolutionized my fishing techniques. And people who are regular followers of my television, my column in the Denver Post, and certainly this radio show know that I am just a huge proponent of your products, mostly because they work. Before we get into even some of the specifics, um, how are you guys able to develop products that are so effective what's your process well we've got a a huge scientific uh uh research and development facility in spirit lake iowa where we do all of our freshwater testing we've got anywhere from 500 to 2000 uh fish on hand uh that we do our testing on in the laboratory and uh, we do the chemo reception, which is the uh, scent and flavor, and have developed over the last 35 years some uh, rather um, powerful uh, scent and flavor enhancers for baits that we have learned through our research with the fish. And then after we develop them and, and uh, figure out what the fish really like and what they key on in the laboratory, then we'll go out and prove it in the field to make sure that uh, what we're seeing in the laboratory is true to life and uh, generates more catch rates. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. I'm going to take you through a few of the baits you have and what they, when they came out, and we'll start with the power bait. We probably won't finish up that in this segment. Then I'm going to ask you to stand hold for a couple minutes, and we'll come back and finish up because I really want to kind of go from what you started with, what's developed lately, and then what's still available and where do you use and how do you decide which one? And I think I'd like to start with this, the soft. Now, everybody in Colorado knows about the pace bait for trout. It's phenomenal. Folks, if you're not fishing that, you're missing out. If you read the stocking report here, and it's, it's on my Facebook page at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, you just follow that stocking report, put this soft pace bait on, you're going to catch trout. It's a great place to take your kids. I'm 12 years old when they're catching it. And I will take a minute to say that you're not allowed to chum in Minnesota and in Colorado. But you can put one lure out with the soft paste bait on or one rigging out and then throw lures around it too, right, John? And it's going to bring fish into the area. That's a good point, Terry. It definitely will. Um, we've actually, and that's why our baits are so easy to tell the difference between the competition is you can fish um, our bait next to any of the competition out there and do your own study just like we do and determine which is the best bait. So if you're for instance, you're trying to decide a color preference or a flavor preference because some of ours are minnow flavored and salmon egg flavored. You can fish them side by side and determine which the fish are uh, prefer that day. But uh, your point about being able to fish a dough bait out there or a paste bait and then throw artificials around it, that's great, yeah, because it's going to bring the fish in. Yeah, it's almost like putting a chum bag out there in the salt water. really works, and you'll still catch a lot of fish on that dough bait, so don't get me wrong. But let's go back to when power bait first came out and how it really changed the industry. And I, I'm going to tell you that I was a tournament bass fisherman for many years and a tournament walleye fisherman. I did 22 seasons on television. I've written for everybody from In Fisherman and do a column for the Denver Post. And, of course, this radio show is in its 20th year, so we've had a lot of time to talk about these baits, but power bait uh, really revolutionized the way I fish. Um, if I could only have like two or three baits back before some of these new baits came out, the Gulp and the Max, which we'll get to, if I was have a seven inch um, blue fleck uh, power worm and a three inch uh, power grub 
and then maybe a couple other uh, sizes or different shapes. But I would start out with those and go back when they first hit the market. And they just changed the way I fish. Did they really revolutionize things as much as I think? It, they actually did, Terry. Um, and uh, this video hasn't been very widely seen. But when we first introduced the 7-inch power worm, we had a, a, a couple of the professional uh, bass gals that were out fishing in a boat. And this was before everybody had their uh, iPhones and could video everything. And they actually had a video where they had actually been fishing the power worm and they pulled it into the boat and it wasn't hooked on the hook. It was just holding onto the worm and wouldn't let go. And it dropped off in the boat. Yeah. I mean, I, I see one of your ads is a hook is almost redundant. I like that. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, the power bait was your was your lead product for many years. Before we move on to the others, maybe we'll do a little bit more on the power bait. Put you on, and we'll come back and compare to some of the newer things you've coming out with. But the power bait wasn't static over these years either. You've improved the formula. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Terry. We're always doing research. We've got a full fish research facility and department that is constantly testing new um, formulas new ingredients uh, to make our baits even better. And what we've done, uh, just going to here briefly, is we've actually developed or um, discovered what the what I call the meat and potatoes are that almost all fish, they're kind of like uh, people. They'll uh, eat um, a specific thing like meat and potatoes almost anybody will eat. And that's what we found out for the fish. We found out what the meat and potatoes is that almost all fish will respond to. But then over the years, we've also discovered and found out what the different seasonings are that you can put on those meat and potatoes, the different species of fish, just like different nationalities of people like things spicy, garlic, uh, salty, sweet type things. And different species of fish are the same way. A uh, largemouth bass likes things a little bit uh, different uh, flavor than, uh, say, a catfish. Or a saltwater redfish likes something different than a, a walleye would. But they all like the same base material. But the things you can put on it to enhance the flavor of it change from species to species. So what we'll actually do is we'll enhance different shapes and different things like that when we know it's being targeted like a 7-inch power worm is is flavored specifically towards the bass and what their uh, olfactory preference is. Now, since then, you've also changed the materials and the way the scents and flavors are dispersed by coming out with some different products. I'm going to put you on hold, John. When we come back, I want to tell people what the differences are between the power bait as it exists today and then some of these new products like Gulp and the Max Scent, and then maybe you can tell us when we should lean towards one product or another. Is that good? Sounds great. All right, I'll put you on hold. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. We're talking with John Prockno, who's the Director of Product Innovation at Berkeley. And John, we kind of covered um, Powerbait and its, its innovation and what it did for the industry and how much research and development went into it. And I think it's been established in the market since it came out as one, obviously, the leader in scented baits. In fact, 
people on my television and radio shows probably got tired of me. Uh, we do a lot of smallmouth bass fishing up here, and I do fish for largemouth and I travel the world fishing for different species, but a lot of walleye and smallmouth in Colorado. And people probably got tired of hearing me talk about a three or four inch power grub, a, a power tube, and uh, until you came out with a, a product called Gul uh, Gulp, which kind of revolutionized and changed even my opinion of things. Take us from power bait to Gulp. I know you've got the new Maxent. We'll get to that later, but tell us what why that was developed, and what are the differences? Sure, Terry. The The Gulp was a, a new uh, technology in uh, a soft plastics in that it's, it's not really a plastic, which is most plastics are water-based, or excuse me, oil-based materials, um, similar to plastic worms are made out of PVC, polyvinyl chloride, which is the same stuff like your white plumbing pipes, only there's more oils in it to make it softer and more elastic. Well, what we did is we made a more environmentally friendly product, which is water-based. And what that allows us to do is use different types of things that fish respond to, because for fish to be able to taste something totally, it's got to be water-soluble. So if you put it in a water-based system, you've got all that water in there that allows those uh, different flavors and attractants and uh, flavor enhancers in there to get out into the water environment much more readily than a, a plastic bait or a PVC worm. Uh, the Kind of the analogy I give to people is um, fishing with a plastic worm, even if you have the right stuff in it, is like trying to eat your sandwich through a Ziploc bag. If you chew on it enough, you're going to get the flavor of it, and it's going to taste good. But if you take it out of that bag, that's kind of what gulps like because there, it isn't encased in a plastic film. It's actually in a water-based material that the water can flow through. The scents and flavors can get out into the environment much more readily, actually 400 times faster than uh, conventional plastic baits. And that's what's enabled us to be able to get those products to work so much more effectively on the fish is that they're able to uh, get that scent and flavor out into the fish's environment quicker and be more detectable by the fish so they can uh, track it down or uh, ingest it much more readily. Now, I, I can tell you that since the in, in, uh, implementation of Gulp and Gulp Alive, I rarely have any live bait anymore and this includes uh, ice fishing which we may get a chance to talk at at the end of this if we have enough time um, where I would never go out without small ice fishing live bait and most of the time with walleyes I had some live bait in the boat but I, I'll tell you the gulp has been so productive for me I'm not going to tell anybody there won't be a time when live bait might be the key but boy very seldom and the, the one of the things that's been just tremendous for me, and people who listen to the show, they hear myself and Chad and Nate, we talk all the time, and that's about that gulp minnow. I will tell you that I've almost quit using curly tail plastic grubs and use that gulp minnow instead, and it has been so successful, it's hard for me not to fish it. When should I look to the gulp or gulp alive, and when should I look to power bait, John? The kind of the things that I key on for that, because I'm like you. I fish constantly and around the world for different species of fish. We've had a very blessed life, both of us, to be able to work in the industry we do. But the, the power bait I use in, in situations where 
the fish are more active and they actually are more of a reactionary strike. Uh, they don't really have a chance to smell it or taste it uh, before they they strike the, the product. They're just striking it because they're very aggressive. And in that situation, I like to use power bait because once it gets in their mouth, they can definitely taste it and hold on to it longer. Whereas the gulp I use when the fish are a little bit more lethargic or in a little more ne- neutral mood to negative, because then when they're swimming by or it goes by the fish, they don't have to just reach out and strike it to taste it or smell it. They can actually smell it and taste it as it is going by them. And then that gets them to react a little bit more. Sort of when we go by a bakery or something or a restaurant and you smell or a smokehouse and you smell that nice uh, aroma and you go, I'm not really hungry, but I could sure use some of that. No, you're absolutely right. Now, the gulp, as good as it is. It, it didn't catch on in a couple markets. Um, bass in particular, some of it worked well, but there were some differences. The gulp will dry out if you leave it pre-rigged for a, an amount of time. We all know that. You have to keep it submerged or back in the gulp juice or do the, some things. So it's uh, difficult if you're a bass fisherman with 10 rods rigged on the deck to have a bunch of them rigged with gulp that you can just pick up and throw. And it, it, it also wasn't quite as flexible. So there were certain certain characteristics and shapes of baits that didn't work as well. And that led you to the most current product. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's the new Maxent product you're talking about, Terry. That's uh, a new product that just hit the, uh, the shelves uh, this last year. Uh, it's a new technology that we've developed. It, and the way I kind of put it, it's, it's a hybrid between gulp and power bait. It's still got the uh, durability, flexibility of the uh, uh, PVC-type power bait products, uh, but it's also got the, um, the water diffusion rate or the water permeability of a gulp-type product so that the actual water diffuses right through it. Uh, the scents and flavors actually get out into the water environment uh, a lot more readily than a plain PVC worm. So it's kind of a hybrid. It doesn't dry out. You can also rehydrate it if you want um, with more uh, gulp attractant type of thing by actually soaking it in some of the uh, gulp juice or uh, gulp uh, recharge that we've got out on the market. You don't want to leave it on for, you know, weeks or anything in that liquid because it will get uh, uh, bigger. But uh, if you leave it in overnight before you go fishing or you're done fishing with that worm, you throw it back in there and you're going to use it later in the day, it'll be good to go and you'll have more scent and flavor in it again. So I want to recap these real quick. And so if I'm in a a situation where I'm going more for a reaction bite, but once they bite it, I want them to hold on to it. Uh, You've got a lot more choices in power bait right now, the standard power bait. There's lots of shapes, sizes, lots of applications. If I'm in an area where scent and attractant might really make a huge difference and certain shapes are more applicable to that fishing like the gulp minnow or some of those products, then I may want to look to the gulp product where I'm going to probably be able to fish an area, draw more fish in, get more bites from negative fish. And then if I'm in the bass fishing world where I need some of those shapes that need a little more flexibility, uh, right now, and I'm sure you're going to come out with other products, the Max Scent, would that be a good encapsulation? 
I think you hit it right on the head, Terry. Now, the last thing I want to mention real quick before we run out of time, and you and I have talked about this in the past, and this to me has one of the, been the biggest revolutions. You make a lot of the gulp, gulp alive baits in little jars and packages of what I call micro baits. We don't even, I've, I've covered a number of them over this last winter, but I use a ton of those ice fishing. I almost never take live bait with me. But people are starting to put their ice fishing stuff away, and boy, those micro baits are great panfish and trout baits year-round, aren't they? Yes, they are, Terry, and, and I'm going to get you into the inner uh, bowels of the company a little bit more. We had a real struggle over whether to put ice fishing labels on some of those baits or just to leave regular uh, gulp or power bait labels on them. And so just because it says ice fishing on it or ice baits, they're great baits for panfish of any type, any time of the year it's the size of them is perfect and the scent and flavor is an all all round uh scent and flavor it's not just for ice fishing john we are out of time i'm gonna have to let you go but folks i will post this entire podcast of this interview on my facebook page terry wickstrom outdoors the only question i have for you go john is that i know you live in iowa you fish in minnesota a lot are the people in minnesota going to be ice fishing for the opener I think so. I was just up there two weeks ago, and I was still drilling through 30 inches. <laughs> oh, man. John, thank you so much. You're such a wealth of information. I could do a whole hour with you, but thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks, Terry. You bet. John Prockno, Head of Innovation for Pure Fishing. Let's go right back to the phones and talk about innovation. We've got some innovators right here in Colorado that have made a pretty darn nice product. One you hear about in this show all the time, but it's not for fishing. It's for you. And that's the folks at Honey Smoked Fish Company and their salmon. And joining us is Spencer Mason. Spencer, you want to talk about innovation? There really is no other smoked salmon like Honey Smoked. Morning, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean, uh, with with the summer months approaching, I mean, what's so great about Honey Smoked especially is how it's fully cooked, ready to eat out of the package. A lot of people don't realize that. They think that you still need to heat it up or still cook it, and that's not the case. So it's a perfect go-to meal when you're going on your hiking trips, your fishing trips, and other sporting events this summer where – you know, take out a pack of honey smoked salmon, put it in a cooler or even a grocery bag with just an ice pack, and it will last all day, and that will give you that sustainable energy you need to push you, you know, throughout the whole day with whatever activities you're doing. Well, you know, another thing, too, and that we don't talk about enough, people who think they don't like smoked salmon, they've tried smoked salmon, and it's that almost like beef jerky, dried, thin cut that's just almost difficult uh, to eat. you got to have a, a glass of water with every bite. Honey smoked <laughs> is not like that at all. It's the exact opposite, if anything. I mean, beef jerky, you know, tends to be more dry, while honey smoked salmon is uh, not only moist and juicy, but it's one of the most, uh, you know, moist and juicy smoked salmon, smoked uh, products you'll ever try. No, you're absolutely right. And the flavors that you can get, um, how many flavors do you guys uh, make now? We have about five in total. We have a original, a little spicier chipotle and lime, a mild Cajun, a cracked pepper, and a lemon pepper. And where can people find it, Spencer? You can find us, uh, I mean, pretty much any grocery store in the state, whether it's King Super, Safeway, Sprouts, City Market, and you can also find us at Costco and Sam's Club as well. All right. Spencer, thank you so much. Great product. So proud to have you as a sponsor. 
Thank you, Terry. You Have bet. a great day. You bet. You too. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company. Smoked Salmon, the secret is in the fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We go to the phones, and we are joined by one of our regular contributors and occasional fill-in host from the Fishful Thinker and a guide, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. You know, Terry, I'm a little fired up this morning. I'm uh, I'm sitting in my truck outside of Crowley Marine here in East Denver off of Colfax, and in just a few minutes when I get off the phone with you, Terry, I'm taking delivery of my brand-new Ranger Z-185. So I'm a little jacked what? up right now, Terry. I'll bet you are, and I better yeah. I, <laughs> I better be getting in that boat with you pretty soon, too, because we got to get some time on the water, my friend. But, yeah, you know, Terry, I haven't even seen it yet, and I purposely pulled to the Wendy's next door so that I, I didn't pull into the parking lot and wasn't sitting next to it. Haven't even seen the boat yet, but I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's all state-of-the-art technology. It's going to have that brand-new Evinrude G2 E-Tech on the back. I'm excited about that motor. That motor is definitely, you know, tops in the field right now as far as outboards go. And uh, it's going to be exciting to take delivery of this brand-new Ranger. And, yes, I will definitely get you out on it soon, Terry. We're going to go out and have a lot of fun. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm glad you didn't look at it yet. You talk better when you're not drooling. so that's. <laughs> but, you know, you were talking about getting a boat, and, of course, that's going to be your guide boat for this year. People will you know, who book trips with you will get to uh, – fish from that boat and experience a great watercraft that's really built for fishing. But let's talk about the other aspect of that, Ronnie, and that's the fact that a lot of people are looking at trips right now, whether they're here in Colorado or off the Florida Keys or up in Alaska, they're going to do some guide trips and they'll have different reasons for taking them, Ronnie. They're going to, some are want to get educated, some want to learn a body water, some just want to catch fish. How do you know if you're booking the right guide? Yeah, yeah. You know, Terry, all of those things are very important. And the big key is is to ask a lot of questions when you make contact with a guide. Uh, be upfront about what your goals are as far as the guide trip that you're interested in doing. You know, we kind of run the gambit up at Fishful Thinker as far as what we see throughout the year. In general, the bulk of our guide trips every year, Terry, are definitely education-based. We're getting clients that are uh, maybe maybe new to this state or just kind of, you know, growing up in the state but didn't do a lot of warm water fishing, that kind of a thing. And they're really looking to get out and be educated so that they can get out and, you know, be successful on their own in the future. On the flip side, Terry, we definitely get some clients coming in that are just maybe traveling or something along those lines. They're coming to Colorado for a short stay, and they're really just interested in getting out and getting the lines pulled. They're not really big on getting any education. They just want to go have a good time. And, you know, a good guide can kind of gear your trip according to what you're wanting to do, Terry, and kind of, you know, custom fit it to your expectations. And if you're up front with the guide in the beginning and really kind of focus and, and talk about your goals, you're going to have a much better trip in the long run, Terry. Well, I wrote an article, I believe it was for Fishing Facts magazine. I wrote for a number of magazines back then, and this is over 20 years ago. And the theme of the article was that most guide trips, um, the success of most guide trips are made during the initial conversation or interview when you book the trip. Exactly what you said, Ronnie conveying your goals to the guide so he understands what you want to get from that trip and making sure that he really can it can provide that kind of a trip because some are better at just finding fish and getting you to catch them and and they don't really aren't good at sharing techniques now you guys at fishful thinker really 
are so great at sharing techniques and teaching local bodies of water. And I will tell people that a day on the water with a, gu- a good guide like you guys will accelerate your fishing knowledge more than a season out by yourself because there's just little nuances. And even when they listen to us here, Ronnie, or they see TV and video of us, it's not the same as when you're experiencing that on the water and the little nuances, is it? Absolutely, Terry. One-on-one, uh, you know, personal contact, uh, education, that kind of a thing. We're big on that at Fishful Thinker. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, what I found, Terry, is I've taken a lot of guide trips around the world as well, especially a lot of saltwater trips and things like that. And without a doubt, most of the guys that are out there, Terry, are all good at catching fish. There's a lot of guys that are all very, very good at catching fish. That's why they become guides. What you run into, though, is you run into some of those guys that are excellent at catching fish, but they couldn't teach a guy who's never caught a fish or never cast a reel to do it to save their life, you know. And so it's really about kind of being up front, understanding your goals, getting those goals out there, and getting yourself with the right guide. Now, there's some other reasons that we book a lot of guide trips as well, Terry, beyond just the education and teaching people to fish. We get a lot of business trips, which is, you know, a big part of our business as well that we do up there in Fort Collins. We get a lot of people that are maybe taking out clients or taking out customers, taking out their boss, that kind of of a thing. It's maybe a gift that a wife bought somebody, so their uh, their husband's taking out their best friend. We do a lot of those kind of things, Terry, and those trips are a lot of fun. Those people show up and they're very, very excited about it. I can't tell you how many uh, business deals I've heard kind of hammered out throughout a day of fishing on my boat between, uh, you know, a customer and a client and that kind of a thing. So it's a lot of fun. It's a good opportunity. It's a good way to get out. You know, one of the other things we see a lot of, Terry, is we see a lot of parents that are coming to Colorado to visit their kids who may be going to CSU or something like that. Uh, It's an excellent opportunity to spend some time on the boat. And uh, I've had had some customers on the boat year in and year out. These people that repeated with me, Terry, and the kid growing up had no interest in fishing at all. But now that they've gotten to be college age and they've moved out and they've gotten away from their parents, uh, now they understand that, it, you know, it's not just about the fishing. It's about spending the time with their parents. And the beauty is, is when you get out on a, on a guide trip with somebody like myself or Chad or Dan and that kind of a situation, uh, the kid who growing up didn't have any interest in learning anything about fishing, they pick it up real fast from a guide, Terry. Uh, they soak up all that information, and, and before the day's up, the kid who never caught any fish is out fishing the dad who's been fishing his whole life. So there's a lot of reasons to book a guide trip, Terry, but, you know, you just want to iron all that out ahead of time with the, with the potential guide. Ronnie, we're really out of time, and you need to go get your new boat. But 20 seconds, yeah. you are going out fishing tomorrow up in maybe that north area. What's going on? The ponds are fishing really good, Terry. I know that. The rivers are fishing excellent. I'm hearing very, very good reports from the Poudre River all the way up and down the canyon. People are really getting into them. I'm hearing some very good things from North Park up in there on some of the lakes, Terry. And then our lakes are starting to fish really good. So the bass are turning on on Boyd. The walleyes are going good. Uh, The walleyes are kind of mid-spawn, kind of going on up at Horsetooth and Carter right now. So there is some of that walleye action to be done at night. So there's really not a bad choice right now, Terry. So uh, pick a lake. Pick a body of water, get out and do some fishing uh, tomorrow, especially once this wind dies down a little bit, Derek. All right, get that boat, get it home, drool over it today, get it on the water tomorrow. Absolutely. Fishfulthinker.com. If anybody's looking to book a guide trip or look me up, Ronnie Castiglione on Facebook, and you can see pictures of my brand new boat. Uh, all right. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one. You bet. Fishfulthinker.com. Go ahead and book a trip. Hey, we're going to wrap things up for today. What a full show. We had National Forest Service. We had the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. You know, there's been a couple really great um, 
segments today that I'll, I'm sure Karen will be posting on our, our website. I'm looking on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I'm looking to see if she's scowling because I create more work for her. So follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, if you missed some of the show or you just want to hear it again. And don't forget about, we, uh, we also post our Denver Post article there. We post our videos up there so you can go to our YouTube channel. Best way to follow us. We're just, uh, but follow us for sure every week right here on 104.3 The Fan. We'll let let the Eagles take us to the top of the hours, some sports and then some NBA basketball on 104.3 The Fan.